Hi, everyone. Welcome to Off Mute. I'm Obella Brown-West, joined by my co-host, Zach Morrison. Today, we're sitting down with the co-founder and chief partnerships officer of The Infatuation, Andrew Steinfeld. The Infatuation is one of the most innovative restaurant discovery platforms in the world. Covering nearly 50 cities globally, the company has a unique approach to delivering reviews and guides via its web and social media presence, mobile apps, email newsletter, and popular SMS-based recommendation platform, TextRex. In early 2018, the infatuation went on to acquire the legendary restaurant review brand, Zagat. Andrew, welcome to Off Mute. I just went off mute. Thanks for thanks for having me. <laughs> Very excited because we're going to talk about food and it's lunchtime and I'm starving. So yeah. let's kick it off. We're going to start off with a game that we like to play. It's Ward Association. Okay. I'm going to say two words. Zach's going to say one word. And we just want to hear what comes top of mind after we say the word. Okay. Ready to get started? Born ready. All right. So first, technology. The iPhone. The iPhone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what? That's the first thing where I think about tech. I think about my phone. That's the first thing that comes to mind, you know? Okay. So, like, what would you rather have me say? What was a better, no, what would a better answer be? I don't know. Like a TI 83 calculator. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's whatever comes to mind first. So, no, you answered, you met the brief, but I'm curious. So, your world revolves around right. your iPhone. So, okay, so like apps, like what are you doing on your iPhone? Where your what, world would be? What am I doing on my iPhone? Um, I'm doing all the things. I'm, I'm texting. I'm surfing the web. I'm using all that. I'm on Twitter way, 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 way too much. All around I can't it. pull myself <laughs> off of that, especially in this climate right now. That's my biggest problem. Uh, you know, what doing everything. What do you think I, your life would be like if you didn't have an glorious. iPhone? Glorious. Be like. Not really. I don't know. A simple life of no phone and like no Zoom and no like just like working. I don't know. Like outside, be wild. Well, the infatuation might not be here if it were. Yeah, I mean yeah. the app is incredible. The you know text regs. But so what do you what would you be doing if there wasn't this iPhone technology thing? You still be in the PR world? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know at this point what I'd be doing. I mean, my my dream from the beginning, which was never possible, was to be, uh, you know, the starting shooting guard in the New York Knicks as we won multiple championships. But that 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 dream, that was never reality. So yeah, well, I think you have a better chance of being an NBA shooting guard than the Knicks ever have a chance of winning a championship. So I was gonna say, is 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 the fact that you're not on the Knicks the reason why they're not winning? Is that actually what we're trying to say here? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. It's just it they really should have been come my way that would have changed the entire plight of our sad <laughs> franchise so all right so the next one is a word that i think you are actually associated with in my eyes for the past you know close to 10 years that i've known you and that word's partnerships Ooh, yeah work my job that's what comes to <laughs> that's what comes to, to mind my life like my entire life is a, is a giant partnership sort of on, on many levels. So I'm an, I'm a marketer, right? Is the word that I maybe put next to myself. So how, how, how did you become this uh, partnerships king? Like what? It, like, I mean, that's being, that's being very generous, but I would say, I mean, I was a publicist for my, the first 13 years of my career. I, uh, 
was ultimately the VP of PR at Warner Brothers Records. I was working bands and, you know, I actually got my start in music PR early and I was shoved into some situations where I just, I didn't have necessarily the best bands in the world. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was given a call list and told to like get press. And I was like, I don't know how to do what this. Were, what were some of the brands? Well, it was, it was bands and it was like Our back band. in, yeah, I was a kid and like, I worked for this woman, um, Sue Marcus, shout out to Sue Marcus. Um, and she basically the first day, like <laughs> she had some interesting stuff. She had like the cardigans. Do you remember them? Love them. I love, love the cardigans. I love the cardigans. Right? Like, I, hate, cardigans. Yeah, I hate that song, love the cardigans, but yeah. yeah. The cardigans were a great band. Um, she actually had a band that I loved called Brand New. Um, Deja Antandu is the record too. Yeah, I, I had that CD. <laughs> I got to work. Um, <laughs> she had like a bunch of really cool dance stuff, which I was into like Timo Moss and Ronnie Size and like, a bunch of interesting stuff. John Forte. <laughs> John Forte, really? John Forte. He, had, he was like, he had just gotten out of jail and put out a record. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And and there was a bunch of other stuff too. And then I, I moved on to some other places and ultimately wound up at Warner Music Group in their independent um, label group and like had just had a bunch of bands that nobody had ever heard of for the most part, right? So my job was to just make people my friend and like ultimately try and get them to hook me up with something because they weren't going to do it because I wasn't working like Lincoln Park and Green Day, right? Because everybody wanted those, those bands. Like I was like, yeah, I'll do whatever they want. Right. And they would always say no. Right. But like when you have to work stuff that nobody really wants, that's where the real challenge is. And that's where you have to get really creative in how you build relationships, how you figure out how to do your job in an effective way. Um, and you have to be resourceful. So I think, my starting out like working bands that weren't great and then ultimately starting to work some bands that people cared about um, was, was really helpful to my professional development as a person who like managed relationships for a living for the most part. Um, and, and when we started the brand, you know, we always knew that like if we could build a strong brand, we could build a, an audience of people that really gave a shit like we could monetize that and sell that. And, and I was the one who just started to go on that front. I was like, listen, if I, I know how to make people, you know, I'm a connector by trade, I'm a relationship arbiter. So, you know, it just kind of started to work. And then I realized, I basically took all my skills from being a PR person and applied them to being a weird version of a salesperson that was really just like a partnerships person that tried to build trust with people and tried to get people to take chances on us and then, promised them we'd deliver and ultimately we started to deliver and once that started to go you build that rapport with people and just comes down to trust and you know being able to communicate so i don't know that's sort of how we got here but it's weird that's for sure <laughs> let's let, let's keep it going because i don't think any of uh you know at least the main people that are listening that are used to hearing from me they just keep hearing marketing advertising from me probably sick of hearing that shit so let's uh now, we just heard from you on the partnership sides from like your lens as the leader kind of partners. What, talk to us about partnership for like, you know, related to a brand. Like what advice do you have for a brand on how to conceptually understand how to be a good partner, how to seek out great partnerships? What should they look in for partnerships? Yeah. I got them on the marketing advertising side. Don't worry, we got them covered. Now we need you to get them covered on thinking much bigger than that. Yeah, well, I think, look, it's, there's, there are a lot of different ways that brands can spend their money to market to, you know, different audiences. And, you know, the, there's always going to be different KPIs that people are looking for. But if, if 
if you have the opportunity to do some more top funnel than bottom funnel, getting creative and actually, you know, working together with a brand like us with the infatuation who has a really engaged audience, who's really good at marketing, who's really good at like, you know, doing things that people care about. Right. I think that like at the end of the day, we are really good at making cool shit and making cool shit that like culture at large wants to engage with, right? Humans, people, brands, whatever. And I think that's a, that's a big challenge for brands to do, right? Like participating in that in the right way, you know, isn't, isn't easy. And, you know, we, we create an opportunity for brands to work collaboratively with us um, to create experiences. And those experiences are, can be digital, they can be IRL, they could be on social, they could be on web, they can be via newsletter. It's, it's all a different, you know, different ways of communicating with people. So, you know, I think it, it's, it's this ability to open yourself up to being collaborative. I think a lot gets lost in sort of, you know, the agency landscape shuffle where, you know, there's, <laughs> it's just an endless kind of, you know, hamster wheel sometimes of agencies have to be accountable to, the brands, they have a specific CPM they need to hit, and that is what it is, right? And there is, a, there is another place, though, out there that differentiates more, where if you're willing to, you know, take a little bit of a risk and, you know, bring, bring your people together in a way that kind of functions not just as a media function, not just as a comms function, not just as a marketing function, but all of it together to, like, actually, you know, build a program that can have multi-platform legs like that's where we fit in really well and where you know we've had a lot of success with you know some amazing brands in the past whether it be american express or nike or don julio you know and, and stella stella artois the list goes on you know but it's all about sort of being for us a, a marketing partner um that can that can then build a program that uh that you know, hits on a lot of levels. Like we just, we just launched a really cool program with Dropbox um, this past week that's like reinventing the, the at-home lunch scene. I mean, I'm sure we're all experiencing. It's pretty sad. I just wolfed down a chicken salad sandwich that I made, <laughs> you know, before this. And like, man, like I used to look forward to lunch, you know, when I was going out to lunch, I was lunch in the office, hang out with people, whatever. And now it's just sort of this like, shit, we got to get it done in between all our Zooms. And it's just not exciting anymore. And so, you know, Dropbox came to us with this kind of like, brief that was that was impressive and really thought through and really marketing led and you know we were able to come together and think about a program and we just launched you know this week in chicago and san francisco and new york where we built a like really cool looking lunchbox and you're gonna there's like exclusive items that are gonna be limited they're gonna go on sale next week and it's gonna be this whole like really cool cute lunch at home but elevated um you know to kind of think about bringing bringing the, the work lunch back. But, you know, those are the kinds of things where we build out a program, you know, we amplify on our channels and then Dropbox loves this idea and is like, cool, we're going to go turbocharge this thing. And they bought a bunch of out of home and a bunch of additional digital. And it's like a really big fun campaign that's got real legs. And as a side note, Dropbox is a Tenuity client as well. Yeah. And so... I'm assuming that at the end of this, you will be sending me that same lunch box so I can have a less pathetic lunch maybe on Monday. So thank for you sure. for that. Looking forward to it. Okay. So the last question, speaking of lunch, the last word for you, burrito. Ooh, San Francisco. Uh, I mean, 
burrito makes me think of San Francisco immediately because every time I go and I land in San Francisco, my first item of business always is from airport to the mission to pick a burrito that I haven't had before and take it to the dome because that is nothing better. Love burritos. Could you give us your top one or maybe top three if you want to go crazy for our San Francisco friends? It's tough. They're, they're, it's tough. The first one, it's not my favorite, but like, I mean, I have to look at like, Gordo's is such a classic. It's, it's more of a SoCal style burrito. I was going to say that's uh, California burrito, right? With yeah, the French it, fries. Like, that was one of the first burritos I ever had in San Francisco, like years ago. Um, you know, I, I'm not like, people love to talk about um, what's the La Taqueria and and like, it's fine. Like, I'm not going to go on record and say La, La Taqueria is really <laughs> San Francisco, but I'm also not going to get involved in any fights related to it. I think all of them are really like, there's just, they're all great. Like, like um, Taqueria San Francisco, it's always great. Cancun, always great. It's just, there's gazillions of them over there and they're all so much better than anything we have here in New York. And New York doesn't have really much of anything on that side. <laughs> It's funny, the first, time, the first moment I get to San Diego, I used to live in San Diego, so when I go back, the first place I go is Lucha Libre to get their, to get their burrito, hands down the best. San Diego, yeah. you know what I had in San Diego that was always great? Um, Oscars Fish Tacos. Yes, That's absolutely. Bomb. Oscars so and South Beach Bar and Grill, disgusting on the inside, like you walk past and like who would ever eat there? but then you actually eat the food, best tacos on earth. Yeah. If anyone's listening from San Diego, go to South Beach Park. Don't look, don't look inside, just order your food from the walk up and just keep walking. Don't look at the process, just eat it. I miss traveling. This is... Yeah, I miss traveling too. <laughs> this is sad. Soon, <laughs> soon, right? We gotta, we gotta hope, we gotta be, uh, we gotta, be positive there hopefully it's uh, very soon for all of us all right so you know on that note let's uh let's move on i want to our next section uh is is called bold predictions and before we go into bold predictions uh i'm going to tell tell our listeners a, a story about a bold prediction that andrew had and that i had but i screwed up on which is Andrew and I met probably about seven years ago as he started Infatuation. And in 2014, Andrew gave me the, uh, the chance of a lifetime to bet on something I was a huge user of, of Infatuation. And I screwed up and never responded to the email about investing in it. Oh, and that is one of, the biggest, <laughs> one of the biggest regrets I have ever is that one. And I don't really have that many regrets. And, that, and that's one of them because you guys have built an incredible business that you guys should be uh, totally proud of. So I, you know, I, I don't think I necessarily, or maybe even you necessarily had the bold prediction then that you were going to start the infatuation and buy Zagat, which is incredible. <laughs> so now what's your, what's the big bold prediction? It doesn't even have to be about infatuation that you have for the future. that's going to happen in, in the world that we live in of digital, uh, and, and, you know, it could be the, you know, the restaurant business, the food business, anything. We're, we're curious to hear where, your entrepreneur mind takes us with that question. And actually, before you answer that, since you own them, can you also clarify for our listeners how you say Z-A-G-A-T? 
Yes, we can do that. It's it's Zagat like the cat. It is Zagat. You see, that's the thing. It's like some people say Zagat like me. Other say people Zagat. say Zagat with their pinky up. They say Zagat, <laughs> but like, okay. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, we, we learned that in the process because we all said Zagat, like yeah. thought that was right, but we were corrected by um, <laughs> by by them. It is it is Zagat. Well, like, now you own them, so we can just say what you want to say. You can tell them that it's Zagat now. It's true. Right? It's, also, it's, their last, it's their last name, so you got to pronounce it correctly. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, fair. Respect to Kenny. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, the first part, I'm sorry that you didn't invest. Um, I definitely was on the rampage when we were raising our first round of funding back in 2014, trying to get to anybody who would listen and had money, um, because that was the first time we ever raised money. And as a you know, we had been running the business for five years part-time while we had our full-time jobs and then had got it to a point where we were like confident enough that this could be a real business and work. And then <laughs> took us over a year to raise that first round, but it was great. We had all these amazing people in it. Unfortunately, you were not there, but hey, listen, like that's, that's okay. Um, as it relates to bit, you know, what's going to happen in this industry, I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. You know, I think the, the media, the world, all this entire world has been upended by the pandemic and you know there's so many different elements in play so many different types of media types of agencies i think on the on the agency side you're going to see a lot of consolidation on the media side with publishers you're going to see a lot of consolidation i think you're going to see people you know really make a play to take ownership of some specific spaces, whether that is food, whether that is travel, whether that is sports, whether, you know, I think there's a lot of um, some of the larger groups, you know, the vices and the boxes and the, um, you know, buzzfeeds of the world that figure out exactly where their sweet spot is and what, and what goes on. I think a lot of, a lot of the world um, is just gonna, is gonna change. I think it's hard to say exactly <laughs> how or when or, or what's going to happen. But I just think there's going to be a lot of movement in the next year to, you know, year, year to 18 months. Any one specific who's going to, who's going to pull off the next uh, shocker like you did when you bought Zagat? I mean, I, the infatuation <laughs> buying Zagat was hardly a media industry shocker. But I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, maybe just for the bubble of, you know, like New Yorkers, like, you know, I mean, I'm not a New Yorker. I'm a, to be very clear, I lived in New York, love New York, but Miami Heat for life. Uh, you almost you know, had it here, man. That what a great, almost. what a great squad. Amazing, but you're you're humble. That would that I mean, come on, man. You're entrepreneur, upstart. You acquired the icon, the icon. So no more humbleness. Hey, look, I think who who would be the you know? Let's phase in another way. What would you like to see? What do you think would make? you know, the publishing world, the digital world, the whatever world, a better world for consumers and for brands. Well, I think it's all, it's the realization that niche audiences and, you know, are very valuable, you know, and I think that there's, there's plenty of ways to reach a lot of people, but there aren't a lot of ways to reach a really engaged community of people. I think what you just saw with the morning brew sale to business insiders, really interesting, right? You know, those kids have, have done an amazing job of building that brand and building that email. You know, it's it's based mainly on email and podcasts, and it's it's a really really good business. And you know, I think there's there's a lot of other players like like that out there that you know people may have not thought are real players, but really are because it, it's about attention to to detail and and building out um, 
an audience in a way that really connects and there's a lot of value there. So I think, you know, and I hope that, that folks start to realize that, you know, there's a lot of value in these, in these engaged communities of people, um, even if they're not the, the biggest out there. All right. So thinking about the future, because nobody wants to think about the present right now, uh, <laughs> what do you think you'll be working on, let's say, three years from now? Man, three years from now. I can barely see to like January. Um, <laughs> That's what we're to, trying to, to do here. We're trying to like, you know, get you, we're trying to motivate you, get you thinking bigger, get you back to your entrepreneurial crazy thinking. Yeah, I listen, I think this year has been such a, such an interesting year. You know, I think it's obviously been challenging with COVID. Our business has shifted a bunch and our editorial strategy, look, we were, we were, we were really focused and all have always been focused on building the world's um, greatest restaurant discovery platform with both the infatuation and the gap, you know, and I think um, that is still something we will be working on in three years. Um, the, the long, you know, this is a, it feels like we have barely started, even though we've been doing this for 12 years at this point, almost like it still feels like we have, we are still just in the batter's box and haven't gotten down to first base, you know, like there's so much left to be done um, with this company. And, you know, we're really excited about what we're building with Zagat. We're actually um, building a UGC product with it that's going to launch um, next year. So, you know, think about a Yelp challenger type brand. We always, um, we always, you know, the infatuation has always been editorial driven curated very specific content um, we've always known we need something more horizontal to scale nationally and ultimately globally faster and be everywhere and be helpful to you know zach if you're in toledo ohio right the infatuation unfortunately is not there to find the best restaurants for you but zagat should be you know and you know zagat has 40 years of of trust built into it and it's a brand you know Brands are really hard to build, you know, I, build, building something with credibility takes time and, you know, a lot of dedication and, you know, the opportunity to acquire Zagat and pair it with the infatuation was such an exciting opportunity because it gave us, instead of starting our own UGC platform, because we never wanted to undermine the credibility we built with the infatuation. So sliding Zagat in, which, which was back in the day, a user generated platform, like Zagat has always been built via survey, like the books, um, all everything that's always been done. There were never professional Zagat reviewers. It was always done via survey that people filled out every year. Um, so, you know, it's almost like taking it back to its roots. And I think that there's just such a big opportunity in this space right now, especially now, I mean, the restaurant world is in such dire straits. It's so sad, honestly, like it's just such a bummer um, that, you know, they're forced to not have any form of relief package or anything to like get them through this. And it's going to be a, a, a really interesting couple of years as that industry, you know, evolves and innovates and figures out what the future holds. Right. And I think, you know, for us, you know, we took the ratings off of the infatuation this year. We just thought like there was no way that we could go review a restaurant anymore. I mean, it's just unfair. There's no way you can hold restaurants accountable to the number that we did, was on it before, right? And, you know, no time soon is it gonna be okay for like somebody to go roll into a restaurant and be like, oh yeah, it's a 6.2, like, come on. Like, there's no way, you can't, can't judge restaurants in this climate. It's, it's, it's all, we, we kind of flipped from being, a, you know, being critical 
of restaurants and writing about them to advocacy, you know, during this time, just trying to use our platform for good. But, you know, the reality is, is that people are going to want to rate restaurants and people are going to need to know something about them. And Zagat as a user generated option actually, um, you know, could play a really important role with the industry coming back and getting back on its feet. So we're really excited and bullish on the opportunity in front of us with Zagat. And the long answer to your question is, I think in three years, we're going to be rolling and building a Zagat platform that's scaling nationally and hopefully globally and making a lot of noise with it um, as, a, as a new product, but with an old brand. Uh, you never helped me in Toledo, but you did, <laughs> but you did help me in Cleveland. For Cleveland. real. That's impressive. Yeah. We have I a did. I mean, I, I just hit Tex Rex. I'm probably like the most annoying person on that platform. I give, you know, no, I give no shits and just message about any place that I possibly am. And you guys respond. I was, I was actually trying to scroll through. Uh, here it is. Um, fortunately, we are not a Cleveland experts, but happy to help. Flying Fig, Mabel's Barbecue, Dante's Next Door. How about that? So Cleveland, Ohio. Did you go to Mabel's? Remember that's about I think so. I think that's where we ended up going. Yeah, that's good. We've now evolved TextRex. So what Zach is talking about is our we we had a messaging based service that was essentially like you know a concierge service that you could text the infatuation and a real life human being would get back to you immediately. We folded that into a membership offering, which um, is now live. You can be a friend of the infatuation, which Zach proudly is. When you when you miss out on the investment opportunity, I guess you. You hop on the support <laughs> support by membership um, avenue, which is cool. But we now have changed well, because people aren't out and going to restaurants the way that they usually do. We shifted that service to be a cocktail hotline now, which is actually doing really well. So, like, you can we actually have bartenders, um, mixologists from all over the country, from like all the best bars and restaurants, are employing um, a bunch of these people. They pick up hourly shifts, and then they're waiting there for you to text them to be like, hey. I got, you know, I want to make X cocktail or I have X, Y, and Z in my apartment or house right now. Help me make something dope. And they'll talk you through it and um, do it. So it's, it's actually been really, cocktail has been a massive boon for us during, uh, during 2020. You know, kind of one of some of the silver linings that have been around is that, you know, restaurant reviews and guides have been our focus forever. But now we've opened up Pandora's box a little bit and started to dip our toes into other things and other verticals within food. Um, and, you know, cocktail has been massive and, you know, the cocktail hotline has been a cool way of bringing, using the messaging based stuff that we're good at um, to be useful for people right now. So, so question on that. So you've created like a doctor on demand for people like me who are stuck at home with their kids and need a cocktail, which is great. Yep. But like, is that something that you think you would have done if COVID was not happening? No. Like, do you feel like you've driven more innovation because of the crazy zombie apocalypse that we're kind of living through right now? Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, I think we always, we always had ideas and thoughts about other things to do content-wise outside of restaurant reviews and guides, but like, you know, so much of our success and so much of our, you know, so much of the reason why we've been successful and been able to get to this point is because we were solely focused on one thing and one thing only, and that was reviews and guides, right? Like we didn't do right. news, we didn't do recipes, we, you know, you know, everybody was always asking what the next vertical was gonna be. And we were like, no, 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 like we are, we are gonna be the thing that like when 
you are in a town or you are thinking about a restaurant, you're going to think of us, right? And I think that a lot of people try and be everything to everybody and it's really hard to do that. Um, so we just really wanted to be singularly focused on one thing and that really helped us, um, you know, be successful and, and also, you know, have a, have an editorial strategy that was repeatable and structured and focused. So, you know, I think as soon as the pandemic hit and it became pretty clear that this was going to be a thing for either short term or even longer term, like, you know, we are nimble and moved quickly and started to throw some, some stuff against the wall to see what stuck. And thankfully for us, um, you know, we have a writer in New York named Brian Kim, who was a bartender at the Bernard Inn for many years um, before he started writing for us. So he had the, he had like real bartending chops and just kind of was like, all right, man, go see what you can do with this thing. And so he started rolling and it all started to work. And now Cocktail has been one of our breakout success stories of 2020 and we'll continue to plug resources and build it out for the foreseeable future for sure. Okay, so next, next game. Okay. So this one is best and worst. So you've, you've given us some education on how to be a good partner and build partnerships. So curious, and let's, let's try not to be PC here. Let's continue to stay off mute. Curious on the best partner and the worst partner experience Oof. you've ever had. Best partner experience. Um, do I have to name names? Do I have to name brand names? Oh yeah, I mean we're we're off mute. Come on. Oh man. Well, okay. maybe we'll maybe we'll bleep it. We'll bleep it. But I there are a lot. Know, so. There are a lot of the best. I mean, look, I am I am a Nike fanboy. Like it's the most <laughs> important brand to me in the history of the world, and I've been my entire life just being like, oh my god, like I just that that brand was like that was the that was the top. That was the goal. If we could somehow figure out how to get a Nike partnership, that was going to be. I would have die die happy you know and so that that happened in 2019 after years of like talking and building relationships and whatnot they uh they came to us when they were launching the joyride and running sneaker um in, in the fall of 2019 and we did some amazing stuff together it was like we did a whole it was content whole run maps on the infatuation.com doing um you know different highlighting places to eat and drink around popular running routes in New York. Um, we did a pop-up, we did a capsule collection infatuation and Nike collab that was up for sale in the Soho store and, and at the Nike Soho store, which was hoodies and t-shirts and scrunchies and like lunch boxes and all kinds of stuff. It was really cool. And we did a pop-up restaurant for three months um, in Brooklyn. We brought in, all these great restaurants. We did tacos night, we did tacos weekend, pasta weekend, burgers weekend, brought in all these great restaurants and did a bunch of like cool events and runs and stuff out of that. So that was, I mean, that, that was kind of the grail partnership of just having the opportunity to work with, with the swoosh. And also ultimately now I have an entire closet full of Nike infatuation sweater, <laughs> sweatshirts with, with the logos next to each other. So that one, that felt really good. The worst partnerships were one. We got hired once by, you know, an agent. We got cold email by an agency we'd never heard of. And it was like some pop-up food experience thing that was like theater, but like, it was like a cross between something around um, sleep no more and like Carbone was how they were doing. They're like, it's like, 
it's a whole out of body experience thing. And we're like, this is trash. But we'll <laughs> take your money and try and figure out, try and figure out how to how to like make you know make this make sense. And our strategy was pretty much like hire a bunch of influencers to talk about it, so that we didn't have to talk about it. Um, but you know, we went down the whole road. It was just like their communication was horrible. They had, they didn't book anything. Like they were like ready to market it, but they didn't have any creative and they didn't have any. They just didn't even know what was happening. It was an absolute disaster. But we. we wound up doing it, they got it together. And then, you know, we spent the money and then, you know, they ultimately were like, cool, yeah. Um, so we can't pay for this because this thing went bankrupt. And, you know, now <laughs> that, that 150K that said was coming your way, that's not happening. And we're like, oh, that's fun. So th those are always fun ones when, you know, you do the work and then you're like, okay, is it worth going? Is it worth hiring lawyers and really going after this? Or is it worth, or is it just, you know, water under the bridge and you just move on and not deal with it. But that was, that was the only time we ever got taken for a ride financially where we actually like had a contract, like a full blown contract breach. Um, but yeah, so the, the, you could see, you could read the tea leaves though. It was a disaster. I think now and the lessons learned are like when you, when you start reading those tea leaves really early, just your instincts and bail, even though it always is hard to bail from good money. So that's, that's challenging, but it's something that we did a lot you know, growing up as a company where we were really focused on finding brands that represented the same kind of, you know, audience and values and things that our audience cared about. So we, we, we always wanted to work with brands that people wouldn't be like, oh, you were sellouts, right? Like we were out there in the beginning and even now like promoting McDonald's or something, you know, it's different now. I mean, they got a Travis Scott meal and they got some cool shit going on, but like, you know, you can't, you can't be telling people to go eat at, cool neighborhood restaurants or whatever, but then also like, you know, getting in their face and like demanding they have a happy meal. So, you know, <laughs> so, you're, so, so White Castle is probably not like, I, you know, it's tough though. White Castle is such a great brand <laughs> that, like, and they're such a classic brand. It's tough, but we, we've never really dabbled in, you know, one of the principles of, of our company has been not taking money from restaurants. So that that's always been, a differentiating factor where there was there's never been pay to play with the infatuation you can't pay your way onto it we, you know we've, we've stayed away from restaurants as a revenue source um so you know that's why we're always working with other lifestyle type partners um, that are adjacent to food um, you know and i think that the reality is is that people sometimes are like oh it's a food thing why would we want to do this right but it's like the reality is is food is culture food food connect everybody eats three times a day and whether it is sports, lifestyle, fashion, auto, like all these things, they, they all, food is a part of everything, especially if you're doing anything IRL or, you know, that talk, food needs to be a part of that. Drink needs to be a part of that. So there's, there's a lot of different ways that, you know, food can integrate if you allow it, if you, if you allow it to think about it outside of just like, oh, this isn't a vertical that's like, you know, one of our key pillars. Can I just give you, props for using IRL at least two or three times in this conversation. I don't think I've actually heard someone say that before. I, I dig it. Thank you. I'm sorry. This has been an illuminating podcast. This has been great. Yeah. Well, IRL, it's to, 2020 has been a tough year for IRL. <laughs> That's for damn sure. And I don't know that IRL is ever really coming back. The same way. <laughs> it was. So. so we like to give everybody the opportunity to, to come off mute and flip the script and be the host uh, for the end of the show. So it's up to you. 
Andrew, where do you want to take it? You get to come off mute, talk about whatever you want, ask a question, spark a conversation. Well, I'm just interested from your guys' perspective as like what's been happening, what have you seen trend-wise in your business, you know, over the last eight months or so? How has the pandemic impacted how you all operate, how you work with brands? Have you seen, you know, have you seen KPIs change? Have you seen people's goal, you know, what, what people are after change? I think like, you know, we've definitely seen folks have to get extremely efficient now. They really, you know, there's less money to play with, obviously. Like nobody's nobody's going hand in 2020 and just like opening up the, the floodgates for the most part. People are being really cautious, but, um, and, and smartly so. But just interested to hear your guys' perspective on what's been going on this year. Yeah, I mean, look, we're in performance marketing and e-commerce. So, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think brands were like everybody in the world was staring into the sun and had no idea, you know, when that, you know, what was going to come about or whether they were even going to have vision when, you know, when the sun went down, you know, maybe in uh, mid-March. I think brand, you know, the brands that we work with emerged from this, whether they were omni-channel retailers whether they were D to C's or marketplaces or whatever it may be, realizing that the only way to connect with their consumers and the only way for sure to uh, interact or change or uh, drive a sale, which is our job to drive revenue for our clients, but was through digital and through e-commerce. Uh, so, you know, the, our, our business and the work that we do is, you know, never become, you know, even or has become even more critical to two brands during this time but the most intriguing part to me about the pandemic and how we've helped our clients is at tenuity we've been talent over geography for 10 years before the pandemic we had 35 percent of our workforce that was more than 50 miles from one of our offices so the first thing that we did was help our clients understand how to use Zoom because we we're one of the first customers of Zoom. So helping our clients understand how to engage with their, their colleagues and partners was probably the first thing that we did. And then Obella and the thought leadership train took over from there. Yeah. I mean, I th- from a work perspective, um, it's been, it's been interesting because I think across all of our clients, like there's always been the balance of like, awareness, consideration, like loyalty, conversion. And we've always had a sweet spot, right? Because we're performance marketers. But in a year where there's been so much contraction on a lot of businesses, it's been a lot of our clients realizing that they were a little bit behind the eight ball from like really paying attention to that performance aspect. And so we've spent a lot of time not only teaching them how to do Zoom, how not to look sloppy on Zoom, but also to like really take a look at their marketing mix and their technology to realize the opportunity around the performance piece. So um, soup to nuts, like not only have we told them how to turn on filters on Zoom, we've also told them how to really look at their business in a different way that to your point, talking about the restaurant industry, never going back to what it was before and only continuing to evolve. Same thing with marketing. Like it's, it's never going to go back to where it was before. It's only going to continue to have more people be more critical of how they're future-proofing for another situation like this and making sure that their budgets and their marketing strategies are aligned to that. 
No, I, I hear that for sure. I mean, and that speaks to what we're going through too on, on our own level, right? We're like, we had a lot of, like, I'll say it again, IRL was a big part of our business, <laughs> um, you know, the last however many years. And now, you know, we're not, we're not moving forward and making plans like that's ever, that's coming back. We have to make adjustments and, and be more digital focused and figure out other ways, you know, to find the magic again, um, you know, based upon the deck of cards that we're looking at now, you know, and I think, you know, we're iterating and figuring it out and, and, you know, feeling good about where we're going. But, um, you know, I think everybody is in a similar situation where you're like, cool, the past, past things are not going back to the way they were. And, and at this point, like, you know, you just got to move forward and figure out what's going to work for you. Andrew, thanks for joining us. And thank you all for joining us this week on Off Mute. Next week, we'll be joined by Carlos Cashman, the co-founder of Thrast.io, an emerging Amazon seller conglomerate.